Are you in a leadership role trying to figure out how to convince others to change their mind? Have you ever wondered why is leading and influencing others so darn hard? Are you looking for practical answers to these two vital questions? If so, welcome to my podcast, Closing the Gap with Denise Cooper. I'm your host, Denise Cooper, and I am a storyteller. I interview thought leaders and people just like you who are learning and practicing the art and expanding on the science of leadership. Listen as my guests and I talk about what it takes to be a remarkable leader in the 21st century. Hello, everyone. So I'm always into how to change it up. And so one of the things that we're doing right now with Remarkable Leadership Lessons, my company and me, is we are changing things up. And one of the things that we heard you say loud and clear is the value that we bring to you is our ability to help co-create new ideas and pull them through. And I've had a couple of people respond by saying, you know, Denise, we really want to hear more from you as the leader. We love having all your guests on, but we really want to hear you talk about your ideas and what you've seen in the terms of experience and how do you coach other people when they have specific questions. So in the spirit of co-creation, we've taken a couple of your questions and Alexa, who is my assistant. Hi, Alexa. Hi, Denise. And we're just going to have a conversation around a couple key questions that you sent in. And that's how this podcast is going to go. We think it is time perfectly because it's the holiday season. And most of you are probably winding down 2021. And you're in that moment where you're sharing your life with your family, your friends, you're creating a memory, but you're also thinking about what am I going to do for 2022? So in the spirit of the holidays, let's go with what's the first question, Alexa? Yes. So Denise, I'm hoping you can tell us a little bit about yourself and your background. Oh, goodness gracious. I think I've talked about this way too much, but okay. For those of you who don't know me, I think that the shortest or the easiest way to explain my life is, is that I have been so fully blessed to have met some of the most remarkable people in my life, which has formed my idea of where I am now. As many of you know, I grew up in Chicago, South Side girl, and then I went to school in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. And I have to tell you that when I went to Sioux Falls, South Dakota, you know, when you live in Chicago and your family is from Arkansas and Mississippi, you think the world is pretty diverse. But when I got to Sioux Falls, South Dakota, I found out really quickly, mm, not quite as diverse as I thought. And I met people who did not and had not ever met anybody who was like me, a black female, and particularly from the inner city. They had heard about it. They may have read about it, but actually meeting me, not now so, no. But that jump started a whole career of me being the one, the only, or the first. Over the years, I learned how to work with a variety of people. And learning to be with different people is really a skill. And over time, it heightened my awareness to what and when people are triggered by my presence, my actions, and even my inactions. It also taught me how our needs are more alike than they are different, that Humanity, the humanity in all of us is really prevalent and that it is the reason why we either learn to work together or we don't work together. I think I learned that because I moved around a lot 
And so I had the opportunity to work with a variety of people. My moves brought me from working in nonprofit, not-for-profit, I worked for labor unions, and then I went to corporate America. And I went to corporate America not because I did not have sympathy and empathy for employees, but I realized that the power to set the culture, to determine how well people work together really sits with management and when we think about America. And so from there, I had just a fabulous career working for some of the best and smartest leaders in the world. And I learned so much about sizing an organization and what it means to inspire people and how do you go from zero to 100 when the world shifts and changes around you. And so then about 18 years ago, my dad got sick. I worked for someone who wasn't a good boss for me in a company that was a really bad match for my style and my goals. And I had to make a decision, which was more important to me. And my values are faith, family, and work. I love all three of them, but I have to find a way every day, every year to blend those three things, faith, family, and work. And so I decided to start my own business. And I didn't think I'd be in business very long, Alexa, but I wound up being, I'm now saying I'm in business for 18 freaking years. Can you imagine? Mm -hmm. And basically what mm -hmm. that's been about is helping others find their authentic leadership style, particularly women and people of color in corporate spaces so that they can look at their career, not just as a job, but one piece of it, but to really think about it as their legacy. And so how do you create leaders who are really about expanding the capacity of an organization, the capacity of people, so that together we can create something that's pretty earth-shattering. And as I always say, what's remarkable about it? Well, that's amazing, Denise. And thank you so much for sharing a bit more about your life and your experiences. I know from working with you that you really do value having a very authentic leadership style and rooting it in personal values and that legacy work. And I, I know our topic for today really revolves around this idea of what do people do if they're in a situation where they love their job and they hate their boss? It's an uncomfortable place to be. No one wants to be there. We spend all this time studying, gaining skills, building ourselves up to be the, the kind of employee that we think we ought to be. And I, I believe you talk about this a bit in your book as well. What does someone do in this situation? Well, you've got a couple of choices. And I always say when you're in a relationship with somebody who, for some reason, they just trigger you. Hate is a strong word because it takes a lot to get to the point where you actually hate a person. But generally, there's a lot of people who I find that find their boss to be a good person. So they might like them personally, but they hate the management style. And when I dig deeper up under that, the most common reasons that they are not comfortable with and they actually hate the boss's style of leadership are a couple of these things. First one is their boss can't remove obstacles for them. They can't help set the priorities. You know, we, we live in a place where it seems like everything is important. And when everything is important, then you get confused as to how you can be successful. And the number one thing that brings real satisfaction to us, all of us are motivated to do the right thing and to learn and to succeed and to feel like we have the ability and the opportunity to succeed. Now, I'm not talking about the success of, you know, I made $100 million or something like that, but I'm talking about when you think about your values, are you living your values? Are you living those personal goals that 
represent your values. And so the number one reason, or, or at least certainly has to be one of the top three reasons that people just dislike their boss's leadership style is that they don't feel like their boss can remove the obstacles that keep them from being able to succeed. They don't prioritize the work every Monday or Friday or something. It seems like we're changing direction or a new project is in. We're not able to finish old projects and we seem like we get to the you know 50% mark or the 80% mark. And then all of a sudden we got to flip, we got to split, we got to go this way, that way, the other. And that's very confusing, but it's also not rewarding personally because we're wired as humans to see the beginning, the middle, and the end. And when we can't see that completion three steps, we don't feel satisfied. And if we're not satisfied, we don't feel like we're succeeding. So that's kind of the first thing that happens. The second thing that happens is whoever your boss is, is not capable of managing their own emotional constitution. And so as they feel the same pressures that you do about not having, what is the project? How are we going to move through it? What is the work? What does successfully completing the work looks like? And they get things tossed at them. They have emotional triggers and those triggers show up. So what would be a trigger? Their short temper. You ask them a question of what's most important and they go everything because they don't have the mental capacity because they're frustrated to be able to prioritize it. And they're feeling the same kind of pinch that maybe you're feeling. So now you're identifying with each other. And then the third piece of it is, is that they're holding back being able to be in thought authentic with you. And so they're trying to figure out how to manage your emotional state. And they're not really equipped to manage their own emotional state against that. And so now what you've got is two people who are tentative and not being authentic, trying to dance around each other, trying not to be hurtful. It's what I call the fake nice syndrome. We're all kind of sitting there smiling and going, "Uh uh-huh, uh-huh, I understand, I understand. And then you get out and you don't really understand what just happened. (laughs) That kind of thing. And so those are kind of the three top reasons why we don't like our boss. And then what happens is, is the more pressure you get on you or the less you feel successful, the more you start personalizing your inability to be successful. And that's what turns it into hate. Well, I'm so glad that you broke that down, Denise. And I think especially that last bit about personalizing it. I mean, I feel like that can be so damaging to a person's self-esteem, particularly if you're a worker in the United States, you know, but part of the, the culture is that we are our jobs. Who am I? Well, I'm whatever my Whatever my career path, you know, my title is exactly. And so that's part of it too. You know, it it does feel deeply personal in ways that I wonder if people in other countries identify in that same way. And and it is that slow shift from dislike into into hate, you know, Mm because when it's messing with your psyche and your self-esteem, that's when, when it's gone too far. And so that brings me to my next question for you, Denise. How might you determine if you are working with a leader who is just an unskilled communicator versus someone who is intentionally showing up as a bad leader? Well, first, let me tell you my philosophy. None of us wake up in the morning and say, I'm going to be a bad person and I'm going to be a bad leader or I'm going to be a bad employee. Now, the circumstances you face make you not bring your best work but it's generally not because you woke up and said, I'm intentionally going to blah, 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 blah. And I know people have this thing in it that they're just some bosses or some people who are just nasty by nature. 
And that's not true. We are very complicated individuals. We vacillate based on the circumstances we find. And then we bring and carry the baggage of our past with us every day. And so when we come and we show up at work or we show up in a relationship, and work is really about the relationships that you have there, you're carrying the baggage. That's why, you know, bias is such a big hot topic right now. What is that implicit bias thing? Because implicit bias is really just, I have formulated an opinion and a perspective based on my history. And now I'm looking at my history and my future through the lens of my history. Because what we don't want is we don't want to make mistakes. We don't want to be, you know, we avoid feeling fearful, out of control in positions where we can't be predicted. We can't predict what's going to happen. So the first thing is, is that we have to shift our way out of this person is just a bad person. I think if you have a boss who's not communicating well, what you have is someone who probably has been poorly trained. We've got a lot of things that, you know, maybe early on in the 60s caught fire. And it takes us a long time to roll through and change our mind when we've got additive or better research around things. So one thing that came up in the 50s and the 60s that we just underestimate when we're thinking about communicating with someone is, so we're in hybrid situations now, right? A lot of people, 40% of the population, in fact, is connecting through Teams or Zooms or virtually, right? And yet we know that as humans, communication is really, and when I say communication, it's shared understanding, shared meaning, shared expectations. So when we go into something, you and I understand the situation, the problem, from the same point of view, we have shared meaning. We understand what that impact is. And then we have shared expectations. We have talked about it long enough to understand what the new result is that we want. How do we change from where we are now to where we're going to be? A 93% of all communication is based on really two things. The tone that we bring, which is the energy, the verbal energy that we bring in our conversation and our behavior. This is a podcast. I know people can't see But imagine you are standing in front of someone and you are just telling them from your heart's perspective what's going on. And the response of that person is they're on their cell phone and they're going, "Uh uh-huh, yeah, right. Mm -hmm, Yeah, sure, sure, sure. And then they walk away. What did that person just communicate to you? Their tone was distant. They were acknowledging you, right? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm in there. Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. But their behavior which is about 55% of all communication, how they act really sends the message or seals the deal on whether you felt heard, trusted, and relevant to that person's life. So when you're on a virtual situation and all you're doing is seeing someone, imagine, you know, this happened to me just the other day. Another person came in. It was the supervisor of the person I was talking to, and she didn't turn on her camera at all. She introduced herself. Yes, I'm so-and-so supervisor. I'm just going to be observing what's going on. And then I'm going to go out. And the whole time, I never got to see the eyeballs of this person. So imagine how I felt sitting here watching and this person is judging, knowing that I'm part of the judging with someone who I don't even know who they are. I can't read whether we're doing well or not doing well. And imagine the person who is being judged, the employee. And this was a boss who was sending text messages, ask this question, do this, say that, say this during the time with me. So as a customer, how did I feel about these messages being interrupted? How did the employee feel 
about their own competence and capability of being able to do the job with me and want to look like they are competent and capable with me. So that whole interaction, no matter how well-intentioned that boss was, blew up. And that's what happens is we don't think about the very basic things of what brings good work, good communication, authentic human connection, as well as how do I talk to you when things are not going well? Because now imagine that employee having to go back to their boss and explain that their behavior actually interfered with her ability to give good service. It's a triangle and a recipe for what you started out with. What do I do if I have a boss I hate? You don't really hate the boss, but you do hate the behavior that they're exhibiting. I think it's very well put in that nobody means to show up and hurt others, you know, especially leaders who want their teams to succeed, which I imagine most leaders do, either from their own sources of motivation or if they need outside motivators and they're responding to that pinch that you described, you know, they're feeling it too. And it makes me wonder, what do you do, say, in situations where you have a boss who's picking on you, not just, I mean, this goes outside of the realm of being an unskillful communicator. And this person, they're just picking on you. How do you handle that gracefully? What does that look like for an employee? Well, I think the first thing you got to do is ask yourself, how did we get here? And sometimes that's a tough question because we can't see the things that get in our way. And what we tend to focus on, as I say all the time, if you can't see a way, what you see is what's in the way. And so you really need to have someone who's more objective and not in this, in the situation with you to be able to skillfully kind of question you a little bit on how did we get where we're at here? What were the assumptions you made? What do you think the assumptions were that your boss made? Because usually that's where the crux of where things went off. Now, from once you understand, is this person really picking on me or is this just this person's style of giving feedback? You can find the power in that. So you referenced in the book, there's a story about a bad boss, Lucas, who just was badly trained and was causing a lot of problems. The highlight of the story is, is that my client, The team that was around him one day came to him and said, look, this isn't really about you. He's just a bad boss. He's picked on each and every one of us and picked out something right now. It just happens to be that you happen to be on the LBGQT spectrum, but I'm Muslim. One person was Muslim and he picked on her. One was a guy who came from the South and he was from the North. I mean, so there were all kinds of reasons why this boss seemed to pick on people. And the problem was, is that my client had no recourse because HR was there to defend management against lawsuits. And if you think about it, HR is filled with a lot of good people, but fundamentally their job is to protect the corporation against bad management decisions. And so employees sometimes get lost in that. Everybody's heart goes out to the employees, but the duty of HR is really to protect them, which is why people like me and people like you, we get called in as consultants, as coaches to be third parties to us because we don't live in that. We can see clearly, we can help people think through things. And so I think the first thing you have to decide, is it me? And is there something personally about me? Or am I just one of everyone else? So if you're in the middle of an ain't it awful conversation, step back. And ain't it awful is 
you and three other colleagues say, yeah, the boss is really sucky and he did me like this and I did that, then you have to step back and see that it's not your fault, it's that person's fault. From there, the second thing you need to do is really decide, is this a place that you can win at? Sometimes you can survive the boss. You know, I write in the book about I've moved 10 times for companies in general. People knew that I was going to be there for two years, maybe three years. Then I was going to be off to my next assignment. Can you be invested enough to last that long? And then how do you maintain your equilibrium, your happiness? And generally, that means you have to have friends, you have to have coaches, you have to have associates, mentors in other parts of the organization who help you remind you how to protect your heart, but also be smart about how you interact with this particular person. And so that's the second thing. Is this a place where I can thrive and survive or thrive and not necessarily survive? The other is, is if you decide that this is not a place, the company is just filled with a lot of bad managers, and it's not really a place that you want to go, you want to stay at. Maybe you don't feel like you can grow professionally and, and develop. And so maybe your assignment at this company has really ended. Start building your network on the outside. Because no matter what anybody tells you, 80% of all jobs are still found through word of mouth and relationships. A strong, hearty network of people who can help you find your way into other companies is still the best job security tactic there is out there. Absolutely. And I think what you said around protecting your heart is so important and having that circle of people around you can keep you grounded in those moments of discomfort and hurt, I think goes a really, really long way. And And it's, it's something we don't think about. For too many people, they believe that their value is in helping other people. And oftentimes they help others, but they don't ever really think about themselves. And they feel like that's selfish. But we also know that you can't help anybody else if you are not grounded. You know, it's that airplane thing of put your mask on first before you help put somebody else's on. And it's the one thing, helping ourselves, learning about ourselves, being clear about who we are and how do we be true to the kind of person that, and the kind of life that we want to live to. We seem to take that as a happenstance that maybe some magic is going to occur And I'm going to suddenly know what my path is, or I'm going to find what my passion is. And for most people, you got to do some personal work on that. And it just seems like it's also the place where we don't spend a lot of time. It's one of the reasons why, you know, right now, there's such a high number of people who are struggling with mental health issues, burnout, overwhelm. It's now moved into their physicality through you know, inflammation, which is just your your immune system going in overdrive, which is a symptom of your nervous system saying you are in danger all the time, um, kinds of situations. If we're not helping people, you know, we we don't stop and think to rescue ourselves out of this. And we have to be able to put on our own mask first. And it's really hard because you can't do it alone. Right. We all have that responsibility to ourselves. I think that's a really good point. Yeah. yeah. And it's also about role modeling. So as a leader, if you want people to ask you for help, ask yourself, how often are you asking others for help? Right. I'm curious to know, what do you do if you have that boss who just is that unskilled communicator? You know, you talked a little bit about how there's not enough good training to create intentional leaders. 
what can I do as an employee? You know, like people are realizing, okay, this isn't a bad person. It's their management style. You know, I don't like the way that they give feedback. What are some practical tips for how to bridge that gap with communication or with other tools? Alexa, that's a great question. When I'm working with my clients, I'm always trying to figure out how can I kickstart their understanding of who their best self is. So like for January, there's going to be a blog post on how to be the best person in 2022. I know in January, a lot of people start New Year's resolutions, and it's really around their losing weight, maybe finding a job, those kinds of things. But what if instead of thinking about what you do, you start setting goals around how you can be the best person that you can be. What's your next level of professional development that's going to make you happy, feel far more successful than they may have felt in the past, as well as what's your legacy going to be? These are important aspects of ourselves that help us thrive through situations where they're not the best for us at that moment, but we can begin to glean the lessons we need to take away from them so that our next round, we can be better at confronting the challenges and thrive in the face of challenges instead of trying to figure out how to survive. Each one of us has a boss, including the CEO. Everybody's responsible to someone else. And I think it's worth sitting down and having a conversation that you lead and make a plan to lead throughout the entire year. You don't have to do it every month, but you certainly have to do it at least bi-monthly, I think, and certainly quarterly. And so what that sit-down conversation is, is this, ask your boss, what's the best way to communicate to you? How do you like information to come to you? How do you like bad news to come to you when we can't do stuff? I know you don't. nobody wants to hear bad news, but occasionally some things don't go the way we think they're gonna go. And we can't stick our head in the sand that everything's gonna go the way it is, the way it's planned, right? The other thing that you want to ask is, is what's your boss's priorities? What is it that by the end of the quarter, and I always say, think of goals in 12-week increments. Over this next 12 weeks, what's the one or two things that we really have to do well? And make sure that you actually have that conversation. Don't let people get off with the quip of, well, we've got to make sure the sales are in place or make sure the processes go or we've got to keep customer numbers up. No, what are your personal goals? How do you want to show up? How do you want your team to show up so that you feel successful as we move through the year? What does that look like? Break it down into over the next 12 weeks, we need to think about this. What process improvement do we need to have? What improved communication do we need to have? How do we close out last year? If that's an important thing, you're in finance, it's really focused on closing out the last year. What are the one or two things that are absolutely the top priorities for the year? And then once you understand a couple of those questions, and there's some others about relationship and what what makes a a trustworthy relationship, what tears that apart, those kinds of things in the exercise, once you understand those things, then you've really got to sit down and have a plan for yourself on how you're going to communicate with your boss on a regular basis. By the way, one of the questions is, how can I best communicate with you? Do you like email? Do you like phone calls? Do you like text messages? Do you want you know, me to stop by or pick up the phone? What does that look like? Once you understand that, then you've got to build that into your strategy around how you get work done. So what I'm hearing is there needs to be some direct communication and some very intentional questions asked of, of your boss. And then taking those questions 
the answers to those questions and incorporating them in your plan on how you're going to show up because I will trust you when you show up in a way that I am connected with. Definitely. I mean, I think that those are great tips. And I almost wonder, we're talking about this from an employee perspective. Mm -hmm. What about from the lens of an employer? If you are someone, I mean, I'm sure we have listeners right now who are in positions where they're developing leaders. How do they make sure that they are training people to be skillful communicators and ultimately good leaders in the future? I think it's the same thing, just in kind of in reverse. It's really understanding that each of us is unique, even though we might look alike the same or look the same on the outside, we actually think very differently and with nuance. And last, what, two weeks ago, I did a training on DISC, not so much from what the DISC is, but how do you effectively use the four different communication styles so that you can make sure that you're having good, clean communication with each other. And so supervisors, aspiring leaders, or people who are in some kind of leadership role, even if you're like a project manager, which I think, you know, project management is probably the toughest role, along with support functions like HR, finance, marketing, because you have to do work that other people have to implement and you have no authority over them to actually do it. So it's all about influence. But the the key is, is that you need to be able to know Spend more time making sure that people are aligned with what the problem is, that we all see the problem and say the problem from the same perspective, that we see the same path, and we understand what each person has to deliver. And then you really have to show up. A good example is, is that I'm on a voluntary team with an organization, and I have three or four people in who report in to me on this team. And one of the people said that they would get me the report that I needed, the presentation, because we actually do webinars, the presentation to me. And then by a certain date, everybody was supposed to look at it, et cetera. Well, they sent us a file that we couldn't open. So now we're back and forth on that. And then they didn't get my emails. I didn't get their emails. So now we've got communication problems going back and forth. We had a breakdown in the team because we said we were going to meet on certain times, but things weren't getting done. So when we came back together, We all said we're going to do X and Y and Z, you know, be better at communicating, check our emails. If we don't see, we're going to do this. Well, guess what? As soon as we all left, we all went back to our regular jobs. People didn't respond. So now we're down to the seven days before the presentation. And what's been done? Yep, there's a presentation. Yes, I have to trust that the person is going to get it done. But does that give me confidence it will get done? No. How do I approach this person as a supervisor? How do I? work with that. And I can't tell you how many times that I've worked with other people in those support roles. And that's the number one reason people will say they'll do things and then they don't follow up and they do not follow through. And now what you have to talk about is not turning in the report, but that you told me you were going to do X and you didn't do it. Why should I trust you? Now I'm going to be a micromanager because I can't trust you. So what I'm hearing is that there's responsibility on both ends. It can't happen with one person putting in all the work compared to the other. It has to be both parties agreeing to meet in the middle through shared communications and shared expectations. And delivering on them. You know, we can sit for two hours having a conversation on this is what the problem is. This is what it looks like. Then we break, go back to our work. And then you don't do something or I don't do something that we agreed on. Everything that you spent all your time talking about goes down the drain. I don't trust you anymore. 
because you didn't deliver on it. And more importantly, you put me in a position that I had to come back to you to point out that you violated our trust. No one wants to be in that situation. A hundred percent. Now you get the wonkiness, right? Of what's going on. I want to be nice because HR told me I need to be nice, but I have to be firm and I have to be clear. Now you're feeling bad because now you have been caught, but you thought or you forgot. And please, my intention wasn't to hurt you, but intention is invisible. And I only judge you by your behavior. So the the reason why most people don't trust in organizations is because we do not spend as much time ensuring that we follow up and follow through as we do setting goals on the front end. Definitely. And I think, Denise, that's a great place for us to close off on. You brought up some really great points around action items that people can take if they find themselves in this type of situation. Denise, where can people keep up with you? Oh, that's so easy. I feel like I'm everywhere. But the easiest place is follow my LinkedIn page, my Instagram page. I'm on Twitter and, you know, we're redesigning the website. So we really do want people to help us co-create something that's going to be valuable for them. So feel free, go to the website. It'll be in the show notes and sign up so that you can follow us as we talk more about these kinds of concepts of, you know, what is a bad boss? How can we improve it? What does trust look like in the workplace? How do I lead better, both leading up and leading, you know, those people who report to me, as well as how do I influence people who have no reason to follow me, those peers, those support groups that you need to help you do a better job. So come, come to our website. It's remarkableleadershiplessons.com and sign up and give your opinion. We love hearing from you. And remember that this podcast is a result of your questions. Please send more. Thank you so much, Denise. And thank you for everyone who tuned in. Have a great rest of your day, rest of your evening, and you'll hear from us soon next week. That's a wrap. And I'm Denise Cooper, and you've been listening to Closing the Gap with Denise Cooper. Let me thank my good friend, Ivan G. Hall, for the background music. I'd like to ask you to do three things. One, if you liked it, share it with your friends. Let's build up our community. Two, subscribe so that you don't miss when a new episode drops. And lastly, if you've got a question or a comment, leave it below. I'd love to hear what you thought was good, what I could do better, and what topics you'd like to hear about. Let me thank my guests one more last time. Thank you for listening. I'll see you next week. Bye.